You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. As well, you can hear these podcasts at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. There are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 159, by Rudolf Steiner, entitled The Mystery of Death, 15 Lectures, translated by Simon Blacksland DeLange. This is Lecture 10, given in Prague on the 15th of May, 1915, entitled The Significance of the Position of Central Europe Between East and West, Aramonic Inspiration and Spiritual Impulses, The Symbol of the Rose Cross. When we are gathered at such an opportunity through which a designated space is devoted to our endeavors, to which we can give a spiritual stamp that accords with our spiritual scientific feeling and sensibilities, it is good if we call to mind the wider perspective that as adherents of spiritual science we intend to adopt toward the world and its phenomena, its tasks, its great riddles. And how should our time, which is so beset with trials and tribulations, not also awaken within our souls a sense of urgency to arrive at a viewpoint that speaks to the future? There must especially in our time be the longing for a point of view that goes further than what can be discerned through outer life and outer human striving. Thus at an important place in our new building in Dorna, we shall erect a sculptural group that directly derives from the tasks and aspirations of our spiritual scientific world outlook. This sculptural group is to portray what our souls should feel in the deepest sense as deriving from our movement. This group will include a central figure. One can designate this central figure as the Christ. One can also see it as that which, in man, endeavors to incorporate the divinity residing within human nature rightly in the world. One can regard this central human figure as, in quotes, man, the cosmic human being, expressed in an earthly personality, as Christ was expressed in temporal, historical life through Jesus of Nazareth. But there will be two other figures beside this central figure, one of which is as though up on a rock. It has wings, but is falling down from the rock. And through the distinctive gesture of the central figure, imbued as it is not with strength, but with an inner firmness, a power is engendered whereby the figure up on the rock, the winged figure, breaks its wings and plunges into the depths. This breaking of the wings, this must be well expressed in a sculptural form, is brought about not because the human being who stands in the middle, the Christ man, breaks the wings, but because he extends his hand in his spirituality. The other, the winged being, cannot bear this. And as a result of what is going on within him and because he finds what lives below him unendurable, breaks his wings himself and plunges down. It therefore needs to be firmly stated that this being is falling of itself. 
that it is not being made to do so through some adversarial force. And down below, in the rock, we see another figure lying bound in chains. This one has the aim of stirring up the earthly realm from below. But in this endeavor, it does not prevail against what streams forth from the downward extended hand of the central figure. It is made to coil and become bent by being repulsed and thrown back likewise in its own being through the power of the central figure. You may have a sense that in this group there comes to expression what we call the Christ principle of our cosmos in the central figure, the Luciferic principle in the angel plunging down from the rock, and the Aramonic principle in the figure that aspires upward from down in the cave. I have tried to form these three figures, we may speak in this way, in so intimate a circle as this, as far as possible as one would a portrait, so that one will really have an impression of the form adopted by Araman when he appears in such a relationship to the human being, and also of the physiognomy of Lucifer that he adopts when he appears in relation to man. What the Western religious world conception lacks even in our time, and what can be conveyed to it only through our spiritual scientific world conception, is the knowledge that Araman and Lucifer are involved in all that happens in the world. One can openly only hint at such things, because today people still recoil from a specific way of expressing matters of this kind. But let us recall that even in yesterday's public lecture it was said that through meditation a person is, on the one hand, led into a region where he feels himself to be solitary and powerless in his innermost being, and on the other hand, into a region where he feels himself to be inwardly seized by fear and impotence. What threatens us when we strive one-sidedly only for freedom from material constraints? What threatens us when we aspire abstractly for the spirit is being engulfed by the Luciferic principle. What threatens us when we gravitate solely toward material things, when our lives are a constant hunger for them, and we become as though hardened, Parenthesis, as I explained yesterday in the public lecture, close parenthesis. This is the Aramonic principle. And man stands between the Luciferic and the Aramonic principle. This must be recognized. But it must also be recognized in the right way, that it is not good enough if we simply say we must wipe away from us everything to do with Lucifer and Araman. All feelings of hatred or fear that we may have about Luciferic and Aramonic influences are actually not beneficial to our human nature. We must recognize that Araman and Lucifer have their rightful place in the whole cosmos. Thus, in the form of the sculpture, it is indicated that Christ does not want to overcome Lucifer and Araman through an inner hatred or from an urge emanating from himself but that Lucifer and Araman overcome themselves. It is quite wrong if we develop feelings within us to the effect that Araman and Lucifer must be repelled by us, 
that we must combat them directly. The Godhead that normally prevails in the world has in its wisdom not ordered things so that the Aramonic principles do not have their place in the world order. They have their part to play. If we ask ourselves where the Luciferic principle is today in human evolution, we must look toward the East. In the East, in Asia, and in European Russia, Lucifer holds sway in cultural terms. And although, as I have explained in the cycle about the mission of folk souls, the Russian element has the task of developing the spirit self, there is in Russian culture the danger of being entangled by Lucifer. It is on its way toward this. The Luciferic principle consists in that good spirits remain behind. Until the 6th and 7th centuries, there was a good spirit in the Greek Orthodox Church. But what was at one time a good spirit changes into a Luciferic spirit if it continues on beyond this time. Being firmly bound to the Orthodox religion is a state of Quote, being in the claws of Lucifer, close quote. And this is still more intensely the case with the spiritual forms that develop in the Orient, which had their justification with respect to ancient times. By perpetuating themselves, they develop in a Luciferic direction. Throughout the East, we find with very many people who are incarnated there, that they have something to work through in the Luciferic realm. And in the West, in accordance with the wise ordering of the world, we find souls who are immersed in the Aramonic element. We find this most strongly in America. In America, there exists the tendency to develop a culture that is wholly immersed in materialism, in the Aramonic element that even where there is an aspiration toward spiritualism is wholly pervaded by a purely material outlook. Even where people strive toward the spirit, there is a wish tangibly to conjure up spirits in a spiritistic way. This will become ever stronger, and the longing to make everything matter-of-fact will become ever greater. It will also gradually take hold of the west of Europe. Then will the mission of bringing the Aramonic element into culture be fulfilled. This is what I mean by the wider perspective, that we see how in Central Europe we are wedged between the Luciferic principle of the East and the Aramonic principle of the West, but how we are called upon to soar up to the forces that are represented by the Christ principle, which on the one hand causes Lucifer to break his wings, through the overcoming of the feeling of powerlessness, and on the other hand develops the radiating forces against Araman, which repel all fear that stands before any knowledge of the spiritual world. For the Aramanic element that pulsates through the world cannot in truth be held back. It is a reality. The culture of Central Europe is also gripped by this Aramanic element, but one needs to know how one should oppose it, for the course of the Aramonic element is the passage through materialism, and this passage through materialism must be undertaken. The reason for this has a deep, wisdom-filled connection. 
Just think what a one-sided religious movement, and I am referring to this one-sided quality, is also currently manifested in Christianity, most strongly apparent in the element of Jesuitism. Consider that it always opposes any real scientific progress. Only in the 19th century did the Catholic Church officially recognize the Copernican world conception. Conventional science will naturally be opposed by a one-sided religion. This cannot be otherwise. Two impulses reside in this opposition on the part of religion to ordinary science. One of these is that the one-sided religion feels that in a science that focuses solely upon the outer world, Araman makes himself manifest. This is the justified aspect of the Church's battle. Araman's hold over ordinary science so that it does not extend to a spiritual worldview is a justified area of attention. On the other hand, there is an unjustified impulse in a one-sided religion's opposition to science. This one-sided religious world outlook is itself ensouled, one might say wholly pervaded, especially by a luciferic element. For to strive for a deepening of religious life and to hate the diffusion of scientific influence into spiritual worlds is what Lucifer wants of man. Lucifer could not better achieve his aim than if all people were religious. This religiosity has an immensely strong egotistic impulse. Just think how people who do not strive for spiritual knowledge conceive of their religion. It is out of egotism that they want to develop a blissful state, to lead a life that, as they picture it, culminates in death. It is out of egotism that they want to be incarnated only once in the world. In a one-sided religion, egotism is taken to the highest level, an egotism of the soul, not only of the body. The best religious aspirations that surround us are firmly rooted in egotism. And indeed the most pious people who move us through their piety are ruled in their religious feelings by Lucifer. It is greatly preferable to Lucifer when he acquires pious souls who have a sense for the spiritual, the good to which they aspire out of egotism. He does not want merely criminal souls. He wants to lead pious souls into his domain. Thus on the one side stands the rightful scientific element that would, on the threshold, tend toward the Aramanic aspect if it does not look up to the spiritual world, and on the other side the Luciferic element, which would also in Central Europe fall prey to egotistical religiosity if the spiritual outlook on the world were not to lead to a spiritual knowledge. This will represent a step forward in Christianity, Thus it becomes an infinitely precious feeling if we imbue ourselves with the knowledge that we knowingly stand between what must be the Luciferic and Aramonic element, which one cannot avoid, but which loses its power when one recognizes it. This is the distinctive quality of the spiritual world. When one recognizes this element, it loses the power through which it is able to possess human beings. Lucifer and Araman are invisible. If we acquire a conception of them in space and time, they lose their power over us. 
You should not believe that when an evil spirit is intuited by someone through clairvoyant power but is not beheld, the person concerned does something bad if this spirit is pictorially portrayed or represented sculpturally. This is right. Through becoming visible to the senses, the spirit thereby loses its power. People will no longer become nervous through the spiritual representing of a figure, but the spirit thereby loses its significance as an invisible power and we place ourselves consciously into it. Just as the Godhead itself needed Lucifer and Araman to bring the world into the right alignment from east and west in order that the world does not undergo an irregular development, but advances as though in a pendulum-like movement, the world rulership lets the Luciferic work from the east and the Aramonic from the west. But it presents us in Central Europe with the difficult and considerable task of contemplating this pendulum movement in the right way. This pendulum is actually a boat, as if a boat were hung on a pendulum clock. And in this boat sit the souls who are striving with the right impulses in Central Europe. These souls must really dive down and must know that they must seize the right point of balance. They must recognize what lies behind the threshold. They must take it into their consciousness. And these days that are now so difficult are, above all else, an awakening call to those who already have a sense of what is in store for the world in future. It does not only matter that in the course of the war one or the other side will win an outward victory, but how life will continue after the victory. If it were to happen that the Central European peoples were victorious, consider that together with this victory the purely materialistic, Aramonic worldview would predominate and would fix this further through the Luciferic element and hence on the one hand the East and on the other hand also the West would infiltrate into Central European spirituality. An outward victory would not bring healing or salvation to Central Europe. And without people being aware of it, the Aramonic and Luciferic element has for centuries been making very powerful interventions. Just think how necessary it was to reject the Oriental Luciferic element in our Central European Theosophical movement, for that which we received as Theosophy from the East was pervaded by Lucifer and led in its extreme form to the recognition of an outward human idol, a physically reincarnated Christ. This was the battle that we had to wage against the unjustified interpretation of the theosophical world conception. But we must be clear about the need for us in Central Europe to recognize in the right way how we must involve ourselves in what is in store for humanity in the future. Through what spiritual science can be for us, we will learn to see that materialism, the materialistic world conception, should not extend over the realm that is prepared for Central Europe. Those who have an intimation that a spiritual world conception streaming over Central Europe and from there radiating out over the entire earth is being prepared will have to do their best to prevent this. And it would be conceivable, outwardly conceivable as a hypothesis, that after a victory this Central Europe would serve a materialistic culture. 
then Araman would rake in the fruits of this victory, and this must be prevented. Just think of a tragic figure such as Ernst Haeckel. Goethe has written a theory of evolution. Since 1884, I have been laboring to make it understandable to people that it is a theory of evolution that is thoroughly worthy of attention, but they cannot understand the profound manner in which Goethe has expressed it. When it is brought in a trivial way by Darwin, people understand it. The teachings have then been able to flow into their hearts and souls. Thus the teaching had acquired a materialistic hue. And then take such a tragic figure as Ernst Haeckel. Every thought, every fiber of his scientific life he has brought over from England. Huxley, Locke and Darwin have been his teachers. And today Ernst Haeckel is one of those who have most turned against England. He is one of the most angry combatants. Insofar as he can be so as an old man, he has stood in the forefront of those who are sending back all orders, diplomas and decorations to England, although the distinctively English import of Darwinism is not being returned. Much else can also be said. Souls are most receptive to materialism, if, as regards their outer lives, they are, I would say, half asleep, if their souls are of a childlike quality. It passes by unnoticed that ideas are introduced to souls that prepare them later to accept materialistic interpretations as a matter of course. Araman has achieved this by causing a very influential figure to arise among the British people through whom the urge toward materialism is imperceptibly inculcated in the souls of children without this being suspected by anyone. This is the brilliant author of Robinson Crusoe. If one impresses the ideas with which Robinson Crusoe is filled upon the souls of children, they acquire the inclination for materialism. In the book, religion arises out of itself in the way that cabbages grow. Nothing is there which reflects something that should flow from the spiritual world. And just see how Robinson Crusoe spreads through the world. There was a time in the literary development of Central Europe when there were imitations of Robinson Crusoe in all languages, and there were many translations of the book itself. It is barely possible to count the number of Robinson Crusoes appearing in every nation. It lies at so deep a level. But the spiritual path must again be indicated by the greatness and meaningfulness of Central European culture, which truly has a spiritual orientation. The brothers Grimm were indeed under higher guidance and collected the German fairy tales. And if we bring the German fairy tales to our young people, instead of the Aramonic Robinson Crusoe, we shall be bringing them the inclination toward spiritualism. It gives one a deeply melancholic feeling when one, and this is related as a symptom, experiences the following. A very notable Austrian philosopher, Professor Do Dr. Ernst Mach, has written a book which was very far-reaching for many who wish to think philosophically. Analyse der Empfindungen, Analysis of Feelings. On the third page we find the following. He is speaking of self-knowledge. We know that self-knowledge is so extraordinarily important. I have often explained this. 
Ernst Mach now gives a proof for why self-knowledge is highly problematical even for the outer world. He relates the following experience. I was passing by a shop window when I saw my own image, my own form coming toward me. I thought, what an unpleasant, repugnant person is approaching me. It was I myself. This is how he spoke. This was also someone whom he had known so little that he said to his reflection, what an unpleasant, repugnant person this is. And in order to make this thoroughly clear, he adds that when he was already a professor, he was returning at night from a journey and was boarding an omnibus. As he boarded it, he saw in the mirror a man also getting on board, and he again said to himself, What is this down-at-heel schoolmaster doing here? And he adds, Thus my class demeanor was more familiar to me than my own particular appearance and bearing. Now, if it is so difficult for someone who does not often look in the mirror, it says something for Ernst Mach that this happened to him, to recognize his outer form, one will get some idea of how difficult it is to acquire self-knowledge in one's soul. And I have to say that I find it almost tragic when I read later on in the same book what Ernst Mach says about the education of his son and remarks with utter seriousness, Praise God, he doesn't say this but something like it, that my children never read any fairy tales. They have therefore not been led through having fantastical ideas into a spiritual world by reading fairy tales. We see from this how what seeks to lead Central European culture to Araman is implanted in souls of the present. And so one must say that what matters is not to win a victory, but that on the foundation of the victory what is right may prevail. In Central Europe we also have a powerful influence to deal with, even in the case of a victory for we have a connection with something that is strongly pervaded by Lucifer. It was once Europe's blessing that the Arab culture of the Moors was disseminated throughout southern Europe. What has today become Aramonic was fully justified at that time. Readers aside, the word Aramonic is there with a S-I-C after it. It's possible that's supposed to be Luciferic. Just readers aside, end of readers aside. We are burdened by the weight of the bond with the Ottoman Empire. We must find the proper standpoint and not, as it were, believe that we can let our feelings be determined by outward political points of view. That which lives in the outer world is truly not capable of keeping the Aramonic element at bay. Journalistic literature plies its course toward the Aramonic principle and floods what seeks to see beyond the powers interacting in our world with mockery and scorn. It is for this reason that what in our time appears under the sign of blood and sorrow should be seen as the great awakening call to make souls receptive to what wants to flow to the present from the life of spirit. And our souls must develop the inclination for what has been prepared in Central European culture, especially in the way that it really brings to expression how we are placed between two forces that pervade the world in a pendulum-like fashion, and how we must find the balance. It must be clear to us that, on the one hand, the world strives toward an aramonic hardening, becoming ossified in the fire of the purely material, that, on the other hand, 
It strives egotistically to rise to an abstract conception of the spirit. To follow either the one or the other would be the undoing of people in Central Europe. Merely to follow the science, bound to the outer senses, would bring us to the point of tearing the roses from the cross and contemplating only what has become lifeless. We would gradually acquire a world conception which would completely stop people having any perception of the spiritual world, which would enable them to behold only what is aramonically ossified. Try to envisage the ideals of aramonic science. It is a world of whirling atoms, a purely material world structure. Everything of a spiritual nature is to be rejected from this picture of the world. The conception that people have, and it is taught already to children at school, is that there was once a swirling movement of gaseous cosmic masses out of which the sun was formed and the planets in their turn were expelled. This is made clear to children at school by putting a drop of oil in water, placing a small round piece of paper at the position of the equator, piercing it in the middle with a pin and turning the pin. Through this, little drops split off and a little planetary system arises. Of course, this proves what is being shown, but the most important thing is forgotten, that the teacher has to turn it. Thus, if one is honest, one in truth has to imagine a great master teacher who turns the whole system in space. But the thoughts, feelings, and sensations that aspire toward Araman are those very ones that conceive of the rising of the sun and the planets in the manner just described. And in this lay what led to the prevailing historical conception. Hermann Grimm once said, A piece of carrion around which a hungry dog is circling is a more appetizing sight than this world conception which is based solely on this Copernican world conception. This is one danger, to tear the roses from the cross and to have only the black charred cross. The other danger is to tear the cross from the roses and to want to aspire only to the Spirit, to despise that which the Godhead itself has placed within world evolution, not to want lovingly to embrace the thought that what is here in the sense world is an expression of the divinity. This is the one-sidedly religious view of the world which despises science, which wants only the roses and unconsciously aspires toward the Luciferic element of the East. Just as the science that wants to tear the roses from the cross and wants merely to retain the charred cross aspires toward the West. But we in Central Europe are called upon to have the roses on the cross, to have what is expressed only through the connection of the roses with the cross. And as we look upon the bare, inflexible cross, we feel that what has come into the world as rigid matter has come into the world through the gods. It is as if the spiritual world has created for itself a circle within the material world, ex Deo Nasimor. We feel, too, that if we understand it rightly, we should not merely enter with Lucifer into the spiritual world, but that we die. In that we are connected with what has come down into the world from the divine higher self, in Christo Morimor. 
and in combining the cross with the roses, the material world conception with the spiritual world conception, we feel how the soul of man can awaken in the spirit, per spiritum sanctum levedissimus. Thus the cross, engirdled by roses, was the symbol of someone who entered deeply into the spirituality of Central European culture, Goethe. It must therefore be our symbol. And so as we gather in this space, we want, insofar as we can be present in the future, to be mindful of what our ideal must be out of the great tasks of earthly evolution, to entwine roses around the cross neither to tear the roses from the cross and only keep hold of the cross, nor to value the roses alone and through only the roses to rush abstractly into blossoming, sprouting spiritual life. This is what is expressed in our symbol, in the rose cross, which we want to take ever more and more into our hearts and our feelings when we gather in a space devoted to our strivings. We can then be sure that the spirits who guide earthly evolution in a good sense will be working invisibly amongst us, that our words, that all that which we think and feel as we devote ourselves to spiritual scientific endeavors, that all this will find the support of the spiritual powers and forces guiding our efforts in such a space. And as we engage in our spiritual scientific contemplations, we can feel ourselves constantly inspired by the spirits who invisibly hold sway in such a space. It is these spiritual powers whom I wish to call upon, that they may always be with those striving souls who give expression in an honest, loving way in this space to their aspirations with full sincerity. If this can happen we may be sure that this spiritual scientific world conception will be a means of finding the path which the gods have always made accessible to human beings. We gather today in such spaces. They are isolated from the intentions of what is happening in the world. The powers lying behind these intentions view what goes on in our spaces as sectarian, as superstitious. We are, in a certain sense, therefore gathered underground with respect to present-day culture. Above, on the earth, is this present-day culture, which in the east is deeply pervaded by Lucifer and in the west by Araman. Then, in order to strengthen our hearts, to enliven our souls, we again and again recall that at a different stage, The Western world conception has ascended from what was underground to what came to be above it. There was the world conception of the Roman Empire, the world conception that had been the recipient of the noble philosophy and artistic world conception of the Greeks. Brilliant minds featured among those who lived in ancient Rome and its surroundings with this old world conception and those who cultivated a wholly new teaching underground in the catacombs were deeply despised. But those who were cultivating the new teaching in the catacombs isolated from what was at that time regarded as the right world conception above ground knew that they had to hold fast to what has come into the world through the Christ impulse. They cultivated their endeavors in the catacombs and knew 
Up above there were living those who had designs upon their lives, who persecuted them, who did not understand them. Once we have brought before our minds these conditions of the Roman Empire, let us consider human evolution as it has developed a few centuries later. What had been above has disappeared. What was living down in the catacombs has risen up. It lives victoriously throughout the Western world. It lived already in the souls of those who, outcast, scorned and despised down in the catacombs, aspired to what was to conquer the world. So must we, my dear friends, feel, as it were, spiritually outcast, derided and persecuted by those who in our time cultivate the so-called right world conception. But just as how it turned out in the first stage of Western Christian evolution, so will it develop further. That which people would most like to destroy, not as it was done formerly by being encased in pitch and burnt, but by being scorned and despised, will come to gain acceptance. That which scorns and despises and seeks to gain mastery of the ground of the earth solely with an Aramonic and Luciferic world conception will be done away with, just as the old Roman culture, the old world conception, was eliminated in the form that it took at the time. But what is cultivated in our catacombs, they are spiritual catacombs, for the world has, after all, made some progress, what is being thought, contemplated, and felt in these catacombs of ours and is pervading our hearts and souls will rise up and make its triumphant progress manifest in a future culture. We may be mindful of this in every moment when we cross the threshold of such a space. As we dwell there, we may be mindful that we are still as though in a boat under the sea, which will nevertheless take an upward course and will surely do so if we strongly and powerfully immerse ourselves in the connections that our souls have formed. It is with this pledge that we wish strongly to imbue ourselves with a spiritual Christ impulse that seeks to take a further step in its development. It is with this conviction, this pledge, that we want to enter this space. We want to enter it in the sense of these feelings that everything must be regarded as consecrated to the spiritual powers, to the spiritual individualities, who, as we can know, weave powerfully through our movement, who protectively extend their hands of blessing over us. This is what we wish to be mindful of when we gather here in future. The End of Lecture 10